Father God, we can sing all that we want to and get it wrong so much of the time. Teach us this morning, God, that worship is more than a song. God, we're clearing the stage for you right now. Our hearts and minds, they are open. They are ready to receive your word. We're making space for you, Jesus, to move in our hearts, God. And we do this all for one name, the name that deserves it most. And we lift up the highest name that ever was or ever will be, the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to get right into it because I have a lot to cover this morning. We're in this basics series. We've been talking about the basics of our Christian faith. And this morning, I'm talking about worship. Worship. Some of my earliest childhood memories were standing in church alongside my parents and singing out of one of these. Anybody recognize this? From days gone by, a hymnal. And the worship leader or choir director would get up there and say, now turn to page 346. We're going to sing Just As I Am. Just the first, second, and fourth verse. I always felt bad for like the third verse. We need to go back and like re-sing all those third verses that were never sung, right? Because there's so much good stuff in there. And you know, some people were engaged. They would be singing properly, the proper notes harmonizing with tenor and bass and alto and soprano, and it sounded beautiful. And other people were, they might as well have been at a funeral. Stoic faces, no emotion, just barely looking like they were alive, like they needed a jump start in life. Fast forward to today, 2017. We don't use hymnals much anymore, depending on what church you go to. Our words are up on a screen. It's not that hard to turn to them because they're right there in front of us. And some people are engaged. They're singing loudly. They've got their hands in the air like they just don't care. <laughs> While other people are acting like their dog just died. No emotion. Looking like the walking dead. We're singing to the God of the universe. Somebody check these people's pulse and make sure that they're still alive. See, two different eras, but very similar responses. And I actually, I connect a lot with these old hymns. I used to play the piano in some churches growing up to accompany these hymns, and so they mean a lot to me. There's some great truth, some great stuff written in them. I, and I connect very well to these new songs of today. There's some great truth in there. My dad is one of those guys that really connects with the old hymns. If you stood behind him, beside him in some church services, singing certain songs, you would see tears start to roll down his face as he's singing to Jesus, connecting and worshiping, responding in that way. You see, cultures change. Music shifts, music changes, styles change, but worship, real worship, stays the same. So what is worship? What is this thing that we call worship? Let me tell you what worship is not. Worship is not playing an instrument. Worship is not singing. 
Worship is not shouting. Worship is not clapping your hands. Worship is not lifting your hands. Worship is not dancing or jumping around. All those things can be great, but they are not worship. Those things are a response to worship. See, worship is not a performance. Worship is a position. Psalm 95.6 says this, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our Maker. Worship comes from the Hebrew word shaka, which means to bow low, to depress oneself, to be prostrate, prostrate, to bow oneself down, to crouch low in reverence, to fall down, to worship. Worship is not a performance. Worship is a position. Worship is a position of your heart. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, while you're flipping there, many scholars believe that Lucifer, one of the three archangels mentioned in the Bible, was very involved with music and may have even been a worship leader in heaven. In Ezekiel, it describes these musical instruments that were part of Lucifer's being. And Isaiah 14 describes Lucifer's fall, starting at verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So here is Lucifer, a powerful, powerful being, a powerful angel created to worship God. Lucifer's name means light bringer. He was charged with reflecting the light of God. But something happens in his heart. He says in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned. I, 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 I. Worship is not a performance. Worship is a position. The position of our hearts before an almighty God. See, when our hearts are captivated more by ourselves than by our creator, then that's pride, which is an idol. When we start saying, I did this, I'm going to do that, watch out. Pride is creeping up in your heart. And Lucifer became transfixed with himself instead of reflecting the light and the love of God. And Lucifer, the light bringer, becomes Satan, the prince of darkness. You and I, we were made to worship. That is our primary existence. We were made to live our lives bowing and in submission to Yahweh, to an almighty God. We were made to reflect the light and the love of God, but worship starts in our hearts. One of my favorite old hymns is Come Thou Fount. Anybody know that hymn, Come Thou Fount? The first verse goes like this. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it. 
name of God's redeeming love. Now that will preach. We need to continually tune our hearts to sing His grace. See, your heart is bowing to something. What is your heart bowing to? Yourself? Someone else? Something else? Or Jesus? When the wise men saw the star in the east, it took them at least a year, maybe two, three years to actually find Jesus in Bethlehem. And that night when they, the star stopped above the house in Bethlehem, it says that they were filled with joy. And they went into the house and they saw Mary and they saw her holding Jesus, the Son of God. And do you know what they did first before they gave their gifts of offerings to him? Do you know what they did? They fell on their faces to him and gave him worship. A baby that they had never seen before. They knew that this was someone different. Worship is not a performance, it's a position. And if our hearts are not positioned face down, bowed down, then it's not worship. See, Lucifer had a heart problem. He put himself above God, or he tried to. He was looking for worship for himself instead of worshiping the Creator. And he was thrown out of heaven and become Satan. Fast forward to Matthew 4. That same being, Lucifer, now Satan, he takes Jesus to this very high mountain and he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he says to Jesus, all this I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Satan was still looking for worship. He was still looking to be higher than God, which is impossible. But that's what pride will do. And pride starts in our hearts. And every single one of us deals with pride issues. We're susceptible to pride. See, you're either living your life as a servant in the kingdom or you're trying to overthrow the king. There are no middle ground areas. And we have to get our eyes off of ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We must reflect his light. See, the moment we look for our own spotlight, our own limelight, no pun intended, we're in so much trouble. We must position our hearts in this posture of worship. So I've talked to many of you, and I know you've had a busy week. I've had a busy week, and Wednesday night, uh, I had a rough draft of, of this message that I was writing on my laptop, my computer. And Wednesday night, I had strategically planned, because that's what I do, I'm a strategizer. My wife will attest to it. And I was going to cook our chili with our team for 37, which is an awesome event, by the way. And then I was going to, you know, once the kids went to bed, I was going to just finish that message. And so I got home that night for dinner, and I'm rushing about. I'm thinking about a few things, and I'd thought about some, some nuggets on the way back from work on my drive back. And I thought, oh, I've got to capture that on my computer before I forget it, which is important. So I go. My wife's prepared this beautiful dinner soft music playing in the background, some wine glasses on the table, and I just kind of rush by all of that, and I quickly go to grab my laptop bag, and I pull my laptop out, except it's not there. The one day a year I leave my laptop at work. 
and I started to get frustrated. And then, you know, I love how God can speak to you through your spouse if you're listening. We started to have this conversation, and it reminded me of the story of Moses. Here's Moses in the wilderness. He's watching his father-in-law's sheep just one ordinary day. And he looks over, and there's a bush that's on fire. Okay? But the bush isn't burning up. It's kind of weird. So he goes closer to the bush. And God speaks to Moses from the bush. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. And so many of us, we live in this busy microwave society. We rush around. We're so busy. We're checking off our task lists, just like I was trying to do with this message. And we rarely stop and pause and look down and see where we're actually standing. We don't realize that we're standing on holy ground. All around us is holy ground. All around us are holy moments. See, our hearts must bow before our hands can ever be raised in worship. I didn't need my computer that night. I needed to get my heart tuned. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. My soul needed to be present, fully present. My heart needed to be engaged before anything else. And so often, we're just doing all this stuff, and it's good stuff. I mean, writing a message is a good thing, right? But is our heart in tune? Is our soul present? What is worship? That is worship. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Another version says, cease striving and know that I am God. I love that. I looked up the word for, what's the Hebrew word for be still or to cease striving? You know what it is? It's rafa. It means to fail. Hmm. I can do that. To let go. To loosen your grip. See, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It will never be about you. It will never be about me. It's all about him. Slow down. Be still. Be present. It's not about your performance. It's not about what you do. It's about the position of your heart and soul. It's about who you are. And you were made to worship. You were made to reflect the light and the love of God. You were made to be fully present and engaged. You were made to bow low before your creator. And I'm still trying to learn this. And I've got a long way to go. But now I know that if I fail, I know that's a good thing. Because I can be still, and I can let go, and I can cease striving in my own strength. And instead I can do it through his strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then when I can be fully present, I can realize that I'm standing on holy ground. And when I realize that I'm standing on holy ground, I can realize it's a holy moment. And then and only then can I hear the voice of my father speaking, just like Moses did. Okay, let's shift gears here. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, either electronic or hard copy, doesn't matter, it's still the Word of God, flip or scroll with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
1 Samuel 15. And while you're finding it, that, let me give you a backdrop and drink from this very tall straw. Why does Starbucks not give a straw that matches their cups? Holy smokes. Okay, 1 Samuel 15. Samuel, the prophet of God, okay, had just anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. And Saul was this tall and handsome and humble dude, which was a great combination for a king. And he started off his reign with this brilliant military victory over the Ammonites. And the country was so excited to have this new king leading them. They'd never had a king before. And Samuel the prophet, he had warned Saul. He said, Saul, do not forget about God. But what happened, Saul's success quickly went to his head. And humility gave way to pride. And Saul started offering sacrifices which was not his function as king. It was the function of the priests. And it may have not been really wrong, but it was the shift in his heart. It was this growing self-importance. It was this I, I, I mentality. And then in chapter 14, he gives his army this crazy command to stop eating food, which is just ridiculous. And he, he just, he didn't get it from God. It just came from who knows where. And it causes this huge issue between him and his son Jonathan because Jonathan disobeyed him and ate some honey. This whole thing, family drama in the kingdom. Which brings us to chapter 15. So one day Samuel, the prophet of God, he says to Saul, now I've got a message for you from God, Saul. This is what the Lord says. He says, I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Crystal clear message. God says, I want complete and utter destruction. Everything must be destroyed. No problem. Yes, sir. Yes, God. Saul mobilizes his army. He's got like 210,000 men. They go to a nearby town where the Amalekites are, and they lie in wait. And then they attack them and they slaughter them. But Saul and his men, they spare the Amalekite king's life, egg, egg. And they keep the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the lambs. And the Bible says everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They only destroyed what was worthless or of poor quality. Have you ever done that in your life? Give God what is easy instead of what is required. It's easy to just do half of what God is saying instead of giving him everything he is asking for, isn't it? And then you make up excuses for not obeying completely. You lie to yourself and somehow believe that you've obeyed what God has told you to do. And the Lord said to Samuel, The prophet, he said, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me, and he has refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so distressed and so hurt by this that he stayed up all night long, crying out to God all night. And he gets up early in the morning and goes to find Saul, and he finds Saul building this this trophy or this thing to himself. I, 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 I. 
And I can just imagine Samuel's holy rage and his anger in this moment. He didn't get any sleep. He's crying out loud to the Lord all night to intercede. And he finds Saul building this this thing to himself, this idol to himself. And Saul sees him coming, and he goes, Hey, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command, Samuel. I'm sure that even further incensed Samuel. And Samuel said, Then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep and goats? Why do I hear the cattle in the distance? And Saul says, it's, it's true. I, the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, but we're going to do a really good thing. We're going to sacrifice them to God. We've destroyed everything else. See, Saul was so consumed with his performance for God that he completely abandoned his position of obedience. And then Samuel told him, time out, stop the clock. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. He said, you're done, Saul. You're done as king. God sent you on a mission. He said, you go and completely destroy the Amalekites until they are all dead. This is not hard to understand. Why have you not obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for plunder and do what is evil in the Lord's sight? And Saul, who had just clearly lied to himself, said, but Samuel, I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back the king, but I destroyed everything else, and then we sort of kept the best of everything else. And Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your performance or your obedience, your position to his voice? Listen, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. See, we can sing all we want to. We can perform all we want to. We can sacrifice all we want to. We can obey 50%. We can obey 99.9% and still not be worshiping. Because worship requires full and complete surrender. Worship requires a heart that is completely face down in the dirt, listening and ready. So today, what what are you holding on to? What needs to be destroyed in your life? What idols are in your life that are keeping part of your heart from God? It's time to clear the stage in your life. What's holding you back from worshiping God fully? See, if something has captured your heart, if something has taken first place other than God, then it's an idol. And we need to destroy the idols. So what idols are you holding on to? So you can't open your hands and surrender and worship if you're holding on to something else. It's time to clear the stage of our hearts so that our hearts can fully bow at the feet of Jesus. That is worship. If our hands are gripping onto anything other than Jesus, then there's an idol that we need to destroy in our lives. So in your heart, what's taken first place? If it's anything other than Jesus, then it's an idol. 
In my son's bedroom, he's got this top shelf that's got all of his sports trophies on it. Maybe some of your kids have a similar thing. I believe in, in your heart, we have a shelf. There's a top shelf that should be reserved just for Jesus. What needs to be cleared off that shelf? Is there anything on that shelf that is taking part of your heart away from God? If it is, then it's an idol. And I think each and every one of us has something that we need to deal with on that top shelf. Take a moment right now, just in the middle of this message, to examine your heart. You can close your eyes. You don't have to. Just between you and Jesus, your heart to his heart, anything that you put before God is an idol. Anything that you want with all your heart is an idol. Anything that you can't stop thinking about is an idol. Anything that you give all your love to is an idol. What's your idol? What's consuming you? What's taking part of your heart away from Jesus? Is it your busyness, your schedule like I talked about that I'm dealing with in my life? Is it realizing that you are standing on holy ground and you're missing those holy moments? Maybe it's something like sleep. Maybe you're trying to avoid something. You're using sleep or something else like a drug. And you're avoiding your life. You don't want to face reality. An idol can be anything. Maybe it's your job. You're consumed with climbing the ladder of success or so-called success that you're abandoning everything else, your family, your God in the process. Maybe it's something shiny, a new house, a new truck, a new car. Those things aren't bad, but if they consume you, if they take your heart, then that's an idol. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's your children's sports. Things can, like that can creep up on you and quickly become an idol in your life. Maybe it's TV or Netflix. Look at what you're spending your time on. That will be an indicator of what your idol may be. And if it's not spending time on your face with Jesus, then you probably have an idol issue. I would say we all do. We all have something that we can deal with. Maybe it's your kids or your spouse. You've somehow put them on a higher platform, a higher stage than Jesus in your life. Maybe it's self-pity. You've, you're like a pig in the muck but you don't want to crawl out of that hole. You kind of like the attention. We need to get to the rhythm of clearing the stage, clearing the shelf off in our lives, in our hearts, examining and scrutinizing that top shelf, clearing off the idols. Worship is not a performance. Worship is a position, the position of our hearts bowed low. Only then can we respond to God. So let's talk about responding. Once our hearts are in that right condition, let's talk about our response to God. Our response in worship should be with our hands wide open, both literally and figuratively, I believe. Growing up in the church settings that I did, no one raised their hands in worship. If someone was raising their hands, it probably meant they had a question. Or they just got lost and attended the wrong church service. It was something that was just never talked about. It was like almost that forbidden thing. We'd kind of skip over the verses that would talk about it. It was, it was like the Bible had nothing to say about it, except the problem is the Bible has a lot to say about it. See, as long as our hearts are bowed in worship, 
that I believe our hands should be raised in worship. I'll give you some scriptures to back this up. Psalm 132, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Lamentations 3, lift, let's lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Psalm 63, 4, so I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on thy name. Why do we raise our hands? You're saying, here I am, God. Use me. Take all of me. It's all your, I'm surrendering. It's an act of dependence, an outward expression of that surrender. It's a physical representation of your heart. You're stretching towards God. And like the verses we just read, we can bless God by lifting up our hands if our hearts first are in the right condition. Lamentations 2.19 says this, I love this. It says, pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Let your hearts melt before him, in other words. Lift up your hands to him in prayer. I remember the first time that I raised my hands in worship. It probably wasn't until I was in my 20s, my early 20s. And I'd wanted to so many times before when I'd been in those settings outside of my church grow, churches growing up. But I was always, it was a pride thing. I was always afraid what would Susie or Bob, Joe, or whoever think about me. That's just pride. There's only one opinion that matters. And his name is Jesus. And if your heart is surrendered, then it's only natural for the rest of your body to show that surrender, to lift your hands and worship. For me, I remember that time where I just didn't care what anyone else thought but Jesus. And I lifted my hands to him, and it was a freeing thing for me. Now is not the time to hold back. I'm telling you, one day... When the sky is rolled back, when the trumpet sounds, when Jesus comes again, you're not going to think twice about it. Your heart will automatically be mush, your hands will be raised, and your face will be in the dirt before you can even say his name. So why wait? We were created to worship. See, I also believe that our voices should be raised. We should shout every once in a while. Isaiah 58 says, shout it aloud, do not hold back. It's pretty clear. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Psalm 47.1, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I believe that we should clap our hands every once in a while. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all peoples. I don't, yeah, all peoples, it says. That's all of us. Yeah. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. See, all creation is worshiping him. He made all things for his glory, including you and me. Isaiah 55, 12 says, The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. If the trees can clap their hands, then we can clap our hands. That's just how I figure it. I don't know. That's why when you see a sunset, when you see a sunrise, the quiet moment in the woods, the trees glistening with snow, the mountains there in the distance, the, tr the rivers and the streams bubbling along, the hills, that's creation singing and shouting and clapping their hands and dancing and praising God because he made everything to point back to him and worship him. And if that doesn't stir your heart when you see those things, then you need a heart check. You must be among the walking dead that I talked about in the first place. And I think, check this out, I think we need to dance a little. Okay, now I just scared some people. 
This coming from a guy that has absolutely no moves. Talk, talk to my wife. Psalm 149.3 says, let's praise his name with dancing. I think what God is saying is move a little bit. Jump in place if you have to, like me. Dance. Let the outside of your body show what is happening on the inside of your body. Let your hands and your voice and your body reflect what God has done in your heart. Does that make sense? It's Palm Sunday, and Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey, on this colt. And as he rode along, the crowds spread their garments on the roads ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the miracles that they had seen. And they were saying, blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But of course, the Pharisees among the crowd, they told Jesus, they said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Talk about raining on the parade, literally. And I love the response of Jesus, and Heidi mentioned it earlier. He said, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheering. They would burst into shouting. See, if Jesus has done a miracle in your life, and he has, you owe him absolutely everything. And you better not stay silent. You better move a little bit. You better start shouting a little bit. You better clap your hands. You better get your groove on. You better do something to show what God has done in your heart. How can we not respond to what he has done? In a few moments, we're going to respond, but I have one more thing to say. Are we in love with the song or the song maker? See, the music... The music may be just right. The beat may be just on tempo. The bass may shake the building. The electric guitar rift might be perfect. The keys might come in at the right time. The lights may be just absolutely right and just tickle your fancy. Get your emotions going. But if your heart's not bowed, then those things are just an idol. See, God is not looking for a performance. He's looking for our hearts to be in the right position. But if your heart's in the right position, then you're going to respond. We're going to respond in praise in just a moment. We're going to give you a chance and me a chance to respond to what we've heard today. We're going to sing the song Praises, which I know you know where we're going to declare all honor to his name. We're going to lift his name high as we lower ourselves. We're going to lift his name higher. We're going to sing, your name is life. It's hope inside me. Your name is love. It always finds me. But there's one part in the interlude that I want you to understand as you respond today. When we sing, let our praises fill this temple. Let our praises fill this temple. We're not talking about our singing filling this building. We're talking about our praises filling this temple of our hearts.
1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Worship starts in your heart. Worship starts in your temple and then it spreads to the temple, to the body of believers. All lifting up one name, all lifting up one voice. So let's stand up with me. Let's lift him up today. Let's praise him in this place today. Let's sing with everything you've got. Make sure your heart is positioned correctly. But do not hold back. Revelation 5 says this, And they sang a new song. This is your future we're talking about here. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe. That's us. And language and people. That's us. And nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. That's us. To serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I look and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature, that's you and me, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, that's the whales and all of them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Worship is not a performance. Worship is a position. Get used to that position. Let's go out from here and live a life of worship with our hearts bowed low, with our hands open, and our souls present. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.